So this is a test. It's not the first time the Pharisees have put a question to Jesus that was disingenuous, that was designed to trap him. And when Jesus faces these tests, he always, always pushes beyond the literal words of the law and the multitude of ways to parse those words to get to the intent, to the heart of the law. You remember when the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2 complained that Jesus' disciples were plucking grain on the Sabbath in violation of the Sabbath law. Jesus responds to them partly by saying, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. Or you remember when the Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples do not ritually wash their hands before they eat according to the tradition of the law, Jesus says to them, it is not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles a person. Goes right to the heart, right to the heart of the law, the heart of the matter. And here, another test, one that is a hotly debated law in Jesus' time, the law on divorce. It is a sensitive political and social issue in Jesus' time, mainly because of King Herod Antipas, whose divorce from his wife and subsequent remarriage to his half-brother's wife, John the Baptist told him was inappropriate. And that led to John's being arrested and eventually brutally executed. None of this is lost on the questioner. And none of this is lost on Jesus. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answers as he does often the question with a question. What does Moses say about it? It's almost certain Jesus already knows the answer he's going to get to that question. And he gets it. Moses allows for a man to write a certificate of divorce and to divorce his wife. And by all accounts, men in the first century uh, Judea were doing so regularly. Women could not divorce men, but a man could divorce a woman for just about anything and justify it with this law from Deuteronomy. Women were discarded like so much property, and for many of them to be put away, as it was said, was a life sentence of shame and poverty. So the Pharisee wants to talk about the law and what it allows and what it doesn't allow. Jesus wants to talk about God and what God intends and doesn't intend. Quoting from each of the two creation stories in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, Jesus proclaims God's desire for humanity. Put simply, we were made for one another. We were made for connection, for communion. We were made for relationship. 
And even though the words in Mark, we must admit, are all very patriarchal and rooted in the language and customs of the time, and a time long ago at that, at root, this need for relationship has not subsided. Today, that need finds expression in all kinds of family configurations and communities that simply could not have been imagined in Jesus' time. But the need at root for connection, for communion, for relationship is the same. And too many in Jesus' time had taken this covenant and turned it into a contract, one that was used routinely to subjugate women and leave them powerless. Jesus, in talking not about the law, but about God seeks to turn their eyes and their attention and ours back to the God who created us equal and made us for communion. The two texts Jesus cites, God created them male and female in the image of God. And the two shall become one flesh. These words in this first century context call the men of the time to what would seem to most of them a radical notion, but rooted in the most ancient of traditions, the equality of women and men before God. So Jesus speaks strongly against what amounted to what today we would call not divorce but abandonment and what one writer calls a kind of serial monogamy. Jesus speaks strongly in this matter. And it is the strength of his argument, the unwavering assertion of God's intention that makes this text so hard to hear in our 21st century context. I am a child of divorce, and I know many others who are as well. I know many who struggle in their marriages. I've never known a couple to go into a marriage intending to get a divorce. But we are not God, and things happen. People become distant, estranged, addicted, Couples can become trapped in cycles of abusive words and endless destructive conflict. People can be unfaithful to one another and break trust. Well-intentioned human beings can go through hours and hours of therapy and prayer and in the end see no way out. And these complex and painful realities are only exacerbated by those who would take Jesus' words here and make them into a new and even more severe law, the very thing he was pushing back against. I have known colleagues and friends who were forced to leave their churches after they were divorced. I have known others who were refused the opportunity to serve as deacons or elders in their churches because of divorce. I have known women and men 
who were told they could not remarry in their home church because of the words of Jesus here. I've known children forced to hear from pulpits that their parents are not as valued in God's eyes because they are divorced. Jesus speaks here about God, about what God intends and what God does. It is God who created us for communion. And it is God who, unlike us, has an endless capacity to forgive and restore and welcome. We have our limits. We fail at times to be the people God intends. But God does not fail us. And God's love and welcome is limitless. Perhaps this is why Jesus, after saying these words about God's ways, welcomes the children the disciples want to turn away, takes them in his arms, blesses them, and points out the vast difference between God and us. Receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he says, which I take to mean humbly with the awareness that we are completely dependent on God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. I have a colleague who always says about these difficult texts that when we are not sure what is being said or we're not sure we understand what is being said, to always place these texts in the context of the grace of God which is the first and last word spoken in any faithful interpretation of the Bible. It is this grace Jesus points to as he blesses the children. It is this grace Jesus points to when he gives God's intention for human relationships. It is this grace that forgives and restores us when we fail. It is this grace that welcomes us to the table where the only requirement for the bread and the cup is our recognition of our great need. We, all of us, come to this table as little children. Thank God for this word of grace. May it transform all our relationships and the world itself that gathers around this table today. Amen.